that I, I just love that we get to be us and that God has created for us a community that's not like one community, that, that we're all sorts of different kinds of people. I, I stood outside over there and I watched two people interacting with each other and chatting and having a little game and there was 93 years in age difference between the two people. One of them was Belofthaus, who's 98 years older. The other one was a little girl who's five years older, and I don't know her name, sorry, Mom. Um, but just to be able to see that in one place, in one church, together, is just absolutely marvelous for me. That I, that I was able to sit in, in this morning service on Facebook and 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 be part of a church service where somebody was in, in, in Mozambique and somebody was in New Zealand and somebody was in Colorado and they were part of our church family. What a gift that is. And, and I'm just overjoyed that, that God has given us this family. And we believe that God has given this family and every family that is a church a mission. And our mission is to fulfill or write together Acts chapter 29. We're busy with a series called chapter 29, where we're talking about being the church in Acts chapter 29. Now, if you know anything about the Bible, if you've looked at the book of Acts, you may know that it only has 28 books in it. So what's that about? Well, it's Acts, sorry, chapters are kept. A lot of us are having problems with words this morning. Hey, Grace. <laughs> some people heard that and some didn't. It only has 28 chapters in it, and we are chapter 29. The, the mission of that early church was to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ, to take the message of Jesus Christ to the whole world, and they did it amazingly. But it didn't stop in chapter 28. It's... It continues to this day, and we are writing chapter 29. But we, we need to do it the way God wants us to do it. And the only way to do that is to go back to Scripture and look and see what they did and what God told them to do and, and learn from that through the Holy Spirit what God wants us to do and how God wants us to do it. So what we're doing is we're taking a chapter of, of Acts at a time, and uh, we're going through it, and we're going to do a few over the next few weeks, and then in a few months' time, we'll do some more. But here we are at Acts chapter 14. And if you were with us last week, you'll know that in Acts chapter 13, a church sent out two guys, Paul and Barnabas. It was a church that was, was on the border of where Syria and Turkey is today. And it was at a place called Antioch, and they sent them out to go and spread this good news. And so they've been on this journey. They've been through, they traveled through Cyprus, and they did stuff in Cyprus, and then they went back onto the mainland and onto what is now Turkey, and, and they traveled through that back to where they started. And this chapter starts kind of in the middle and ends at the end of that journey. And so we need to look at this chapter and say, God, what do you want us to teach what do you want us to learn about our Acts 29? And so let me read to you the first few verses, the first seven verses of Acts chapter 14. 
When they got to Iconium, they went, as they always did, to the meeting place of the Jews and gave their message. A message, the message convinced both Jews and non-Jews, and not just a few either, but the unbelieving Jews worked up a whispering campaign against Paul and Barnabas, sowing mistrust and suspicion in the minds of the people in the street. The two apostles were there a long time, speaking freely, openly, and confidently as they presented the clear evidence of God's gifts. God cor- correct, woo. God corroborating their work with miracles and wonders. But then there was a split in the public opinion, some siding with the Jews and some with the apostles. One day, learning that both the Jews and the non-Jews who had, had been organized by their leaders to beat them up, they escaped as best they could to the next towns, Laconia, Lastra, Derby, and the neighborhood. But, when, but then, we're right back at it again, getting out the message. Okay, so, so a great summary. But why on earth were they doing this? I mean, you, you read, and I mean, I know it says that they had been organized for them to be beaten up, but if you, if you read another version that says that organized for them to be stoned, which is not a slap around the ear, it is potential death. But they carry on. Why? Why do they just not give up? Well, because good news. Because good news. You see, they have in them, these two men, and in fact the whole church has something in them. They have something that they call good news. This word appears a lot in the book of Acts. It's a lot, not just in the book of Acts, but in the whole New Testament, and quite often in the Old Testament as well. This idea of we have something. We have good news. Now, I want to tell you that I love the idea of good news. I'm a people pleaser, and so I like people to be happy, and so if you give me good news, I'm a battle to keep it to myself. eh? I I, I just have to share it. If you want to, to surprise somebody for like a birthday party and you've got an amazing idea, don't tell me, okay? I'm good with keeping confidences. If somebody says don't, then I'm fine. But if it's like a good news, that's like, don't tell me because I will, because I want everybody to know. I love it. It's partly why I love my job so much because I get to share not just the good news of the gospel, but I also get to share good news with people all the time about all sorts of things. Answers to prayer and answers to struggles. I I love it. But the problem with good news is it isn't always good news. Sometimes good news down the road can turn into not good news. Anybody who's at least six months into owning their first motor car knows exactly what I mean. I mean, you live your life. I finally can afford a car. Yes, Freedom. No, no. Maintenance. 26 rand a litre. Insurance. All of those things. And so, yes, it's good news, but terms and conditions apply. Lotto winners love to hear the good news. 
But the records show that most people, not all, but most people who, who win the lotto, their lives don't get better in the long term. Actually, their lives get worse in the long term. Because T's and C's applies, because good news isn't always that kind of good news. But this isn't that kind of good news. This good news that these apostles were carrying with them, this good news that the whole book of Acts is about, this good news that we have with us is always good news. It's always good news to everybody in every place. You see, because it is the good news that God loves the whole world. It is the good news that your sin doesn't need to blot your eternity or your life forever. It's the good news that God himself came into the world to die and that, and that what you have to do is believe that. What you have to do is accept that gift. And if you do, you will have an eternal kind of life. Not just one day when you die, but right now. It doesn't mean your life is going to be easy, but it means your life is going to be real and purposeful and meaningful. And it's going to fundamentally change who you are and it's going to change the world around you. This message that Jesus Christ is the savior of the world and that he loves you and that he made it possible for you to love him back without having to belong to a certain group of people or without having to do certain ceremonies or without having to, to be perfect. You just have to accept the gift. And that was the good news. This is always good news. And here's something I struggle with. If that really is the good news, and I really believe it is, that if that really is the gospel, how is it that we can be so bad at the good news? Have you ever noticed that? I mean, surely this thing should spread like wildfire, man. This should be everywhere. Why is it that so often we end up being bad at the good news? And so I want us to spend some time in this chapter of Acts, chapter 14, and look at some of the things that are going on there. Maybe we'll see why Sometimes we as individuals, but especially we as a, as a group of people together, end up being bad at the good news. The first thing I see is that we're often bad at the good news because we're unwilling to take the good news. We're just flat out unwilling. You know, at the beginning, it says us in chapter 13, these guys are now in their church together, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Now, if Paul and Barnabas had been unwilling, it ends there. It ends there. But aren't we often like that? If you grew up in church and, and you had some missionary come and talk, and you know at the end the bishop is going to say, baby, God is asking you to go to such and such a place. And if you're anything like me, you're sitting there going, not me, God. Next. I, I, I can't do this. God, that place where they're going doesn't have actual flushing toilets. There's no way, God. Don't we do that? We're unwilling 
We almost think that this God who loves us so much purposely wants to send us to some place that's going to be hateful. It's almost as if that's our motivation in our head. Now, don't get me wrong. We'll see later on that going is hard. Going is really hard. But, but it is part of the good life. It is part of this message, and sometimes we're just flat out unwilling to go. But as I was preparing this, I also realized that a lot of people aren't unwilling, they're just unaware. And unfortunately, I came to this realization too too late to put up a slide. In fact, this happened while we were having a strategy conversation about missionaries, about the people that we send to to Mozambique and to Austria and to America and to to the, the Middle East. And I suddenly realized that we only think of those people as going. We don't think of ourselves as going. But you see, these guys understood that although Paul and Barnabas had to go in a particular way, everybody had to go. They realized that actually after we've sent off Paul and Barnabas, we have to go as well to our homes, to our neighbors, to our friends, to our work. And so often we think that we're bad at the good news because we don't think that our job is to just carry the good news with us wherever we go, to everybody. And so we go, well, thank you, Lord, I don't have to do that because I don't have to travel to Cyprus. I'm so glad. Well, we're wrong. If we're just willing to say, God, I'll I'll take it wherever wherever you take me. I'll, I'll take it. I'll live it out. I'll do it. Because every single one of us has been told by God to go. Some far, some near. But if we're not willing, we're not willing. So ask yourself in a moment, for a moment, are we bad at this because I'm unwilling? That I want to go where I want to go, not where God wants me to go? They set off. And they said, off we go. Here's another reason why I think often we're bad at the good news is we're inflexible. We're inflexible. And what I mean by that is we think that there's only one way to do this. So often people have said to me, John, I can't do that because you know more about the Bible than I do. Well, God, I don't know the three EE three questions. If you know what I'm talking about, fine. If you don't, you, it's okay. It was a system that, that is used to share the gospel. But, but sometimes people look at that and they go, I, I can't do that. But as I pointed out last week, and I'm pointing out again, this inflexibility is something foreign to these guys. The passage we read said they did what they usually did. They went to the synagogue. But in other places, the synagogue is closed to them. And so they don't just go, oh, well, we can't go to the synagogue, so we can't spread the good news. They don't. They do something else. They go somewhere else. And there's reasons why we become inflexible. Either we're afraid just to think broadly, or there's a thing that we like, a way we like to do things a way that's comfortable for us, that's nice for us. 
And so we don't actually want to do it another way because, because we turn our preferences into what God's will is. And these passages in chapter 14, in verse eight, one, they do it one way. In verse eight, they do it a different way. In verse 21, they do it a different way. And so we, we must learn that God has sent us into all the world. The Apostle Paul says it well. He says, when I'm with the Greeks, I act like a Greek. When I'm with the Romans, I act like a Roman. So that I can share this good news. Perhaps we are bad at the good news because we become inflexible. We say there's only one way to do this. There's a third reason why we often are bad at the good news. And that's because we, we want to be intellectual. We want to be intellectual. Now there's nothing wrong with being intellectual. And there's nothing wrong with, with if God's given you that kind of brain to use your intellect well and to create arguments and to, to, and to challenge people. But the truth is we've turned often the gospel of Jesus Christ into an intellectual pursuit. And when we do that, we exclude all sorts of people because not everybody's intellectually gifted. And in fact, the, the gospel and its sharing isn't primarily intellectual. I just want to ask this question, and you can put up your hand if you feel free to do that. Were any of you, did any of you become a Christian because somebody won an argument against you about God? That you actually got argued into becoming a Christian? I do know some people that are, I do, but I want to tell you it is the tiniest minority of people. It is a tiny group of people. After this morning's sermon, somebody came to me and said, you know how I became a Christian? My sister asked me to come here and fold bulletins. And I came here, and because she was working at the church back then, and I sat down and I started folding bulletins. And I discovered the good news of Jesus while I was folding bulletins. How's that for not intellectual? But you see, we, we must use our minds. But we must also know that God is busy doing all sorts of other things. Listen to what it says in verse 3. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there, speaking boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. You see, God is backing us up, folks. And, and I, I know that Alex was really excited and it was so awesome for her to have her, her nephew here. But she misspoke. She misspoke. She said God used a miracle and he also used science. Almost as if those are two different things. But you notice they use two words, just signs and wonders. The fact that God has made people so clever that a child can be conceived in a, in a glass dish is a wonder. The fact that God has made human beings so clever that somebody who was going to die of a heart attack isn't because they could do something inside their chest, scientists can do it, is a wonder. Just because we can explain it, it doesn't mean it's any less from God. And so we, we, we must stop going, I can't because I'm not intellectual enough. We must stop going, I can't because I don't understand this. This is God, folks. None of us understand all of it. We, we're bad because we make it all intellect, 
intellectual. Here's another reason why we're bad at the gospel. We are pusillanimous. Yes, we are. We are bad at the gospel because we are pusillanimous. I want to help you understand what pusillanimous means. And so here's a picture that will help you understand what pusillanimous means. It doesn't mean you're a dog. Pusillanimous means you lack courage, determination, or you're timid or lazy. It is the opposite of perseverance. It's the opposite of perseverance. We give up too easily. We are pusillanimous. You're welcome. You are welcome, your new word. Listen to how not pusillanimous Paul and Barnabas are. Verse 19. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered round him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, he, he and Barnabas left for, Do- for Derby. You see, he got stoned. He was so bad that they thought he was dead. And so he said, I'm done. No, he didn't. He said, well, maybe I'm done here, but I'm not done. I'm going to the next town, and I'm going to do exactly what I did here in the next town. I am not giving up. One of our past elders, Janice Oken, preaches about twice a week at Eden Rock down in, in, uh, on the beachfront. It's a, it's a retirement complex. And a couple of Sundays ago, she was preaching, and a 93-year-old person came up to her and said, thank you, now I finally understand what Jesus wants from me. 93 years old. What happens if somebody had given up? What happens if somebody had decided they're going to be pusillanimous? They're done. We are so privileged in our church to have people from the recovery community with us. If ever you want to learn about not giving up, connect with the guys from the, from the recovery ministry because their whole lives are built around not giving up, that the gospel, of good, the gospel of Jesus Christ is good news and we can't stop. We give up too easily. There's too many Muslims, there's too many of this, there's too much persecution. There's too... No, the good news goes wherever we take it. There's another reason why we're often bad at the good news. It's because we're proud. It's because we are proud. Because we begin to think that, that it's about us. Or even if not it's about us, it's just about the way we like things. Or our preference. Or, or the group of people I belong to are somehow a little bit ahead of others. Oh, you know, we've got a big church. We've got lots of people here on a Sunday. And so, so we must somehow be better at other churches than doing this. We are wrong. We are wrong. Let me tell you, these guys were tempted to be proud, eh? Just listen to the story. So they now leave the first place because the Oaks are threatening to stone them. The next place they go to, they, Paul performs a miracle. He heals somebody, a lame guy. And the city goes insane. They start trying to worship Paul and Barnabas by proper. 
I mean, the, 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 the priest of Apollos is bringing sacrifices to them. And, and, and my goodness me, what a moment they could have had right there. You know what? They could have stopped and gone, guys, we are bosses. Now, I know technically people should be worshiping Jesus, but, I mean, if we use this to our own advantage, imagine how much good we could do for all these people. I mean, if we just accepted this, I mean, we'd probably get enough money to finance the rest of our missions trip, and when we get back to church, we'll be able to build a proper building. And all. Maybe we should just for a moment go along with this, because maybe we can turn it into something good, you know? And then later on, we'll remind them that actually it's not about us. But listen to what it says in Acts 14, 11. When the crowd saw that what Paul had done, they shouted in the Laconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. And then a whole lot of stuff happens, and then this is how they respond. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard this, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd shouting, friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human just like you. Do you know what? So many people don't believe the good news because they don't think they're good enough. Lots of people don't believe the good news because they don't think they're good enough. And when we put our pride as an extra barrier, it makes it even harder. Because they look at us and say, I can't be like you. And, and our pride doesn't look like this. But sometimes our pride says, you can only worship God this way. Or honestly, you, you're not smart enough. You're not this enough or you're not that enough. And, and, we, and we get bad at the good news because we are proud. Listen to what Tim Keller, Tim Keller is a massively successful pastor in a huge church. And he's, he's world famous, he's written great books. But listen to what Tim Keller says about the gospel. The Christian gospel is that I am so flawed that Jesus had to die for me. Yet I am so loved and valued that Jesus was glad to die for me. This leads to deep humility and deep confidence at the same time. It undermines both swaggering and sniveling. I cannot feel superior to anyone, and yet I have nothing to prove to anyone. I do not think more of myself or less of myself. Instead, I think of myself less. What a beautiful picture. What a beautiful picture, and how real is that in Paul and Barnabas's life? Paul doesn't go, well, well, you know, I must run away or I must argue. He just says, I must, I must do what Jesus wants me to do. We're bad because of pride. Last one, we're often bad at the good news because of we're individualistic. We live in a world that says we do it our way. I do this on my own. I can do anything I want to do. It's not about us, it's about me. And even the great Paul and Barnabas, even these two men who did such amazing stuff, knew that what they were doing wasn't about them. 
It wasn't about them as individuals or even as a, as a team. It was about the whole of the body of Jesus Christ. Verse 26, from Italia they sailed back to Antioch. That's where they came from originally, where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work that they had now completed. On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they stayed there a long time with the disciples. Folks, so often we, we, we can't do the good news properly because we want to do it our way, my way, what God has told me to do. The good news is not spread by individual people. It is spread by a group of people. Sometimes we do it individually, but we always do it as a part of a, of a, of a group of people working together that are living out the good news of Jesus Christ. And some of them go far, and some of them never actually even leave their homes, but they're all part of the same group the same carriers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If nothing else, we're part of a team with beautiful feet. You see, when we're good at the good news, this happens. When we, when we leave our individualism, when we, when we stop giving up, when we stop being proud, when we stop thinking it's only about what I think, when we stop doing that and start doing these things the way God wants us to do, listen to what it says in Isaiah 52. How delightful on the mountains are the feet of one who brings good news, who announces peace and brings good news of happiness, who announces salvation and says to Zion, your God reigns. What a beautiful picture. And we are invited as God's family to do that, to be good at the good news. And so I want to invite you all to be part of this journey. And we're gonna do something really awesome and symbolic right now. We're gonna send a group of people off to do something that all of us can't do together. There's a group of people going to Mozambique on a mission. And I'm gonna ask some of them to join me on the stage. There may only be one. Okay, there's more. Okay, there's about 14, so let me tell you, there's potentially either 10 or 14, okay? Why the confusion? Because four of them need to get their passports tomorrow, okay? So we can pray about that. But as these guys come to the front, help, I want you to understand this. They are going on our behalf. It's not them going, it's us going. They're gonna do it for us. But they could never do it if we weren't part of this. So all of us are going. But more than that, when Ellen and Alex go to London, just as individuals, they take some of us with them. They, they take something that, they take the good news that we all share together. And so I'm going to ask you to stand. We're gonna pray these guys out of here. And uh, that's gonna be the end of the service. But, but remember, that on Tuesday you are going to Mozambique. You may be sitting in your chair at home. You may be sitting behind your computer. You may be, uh, you, you, you may be binging a series. But you are going to Mozambique because we are going. Because of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And you know what? They are going to your home. They are going to your office because we're part of the good news of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. God, thank you for this good news. Thank you for this good team. Lord, help them help peace as he drives. Help each of them as they prepare to share the gospel in some way with people in Mozambique. Lord, keep them safe. Help them across the border. Lord, sort out those passports for those that still need to go with. Lord, be with them. Watch over them. May they take the gospel with passion and love. But Lord, as we walk out of here, as we go to lunch, as we get up for work tomorrow morning, as we go into the office, as we make tea, as we are families and we are parents and we are children, Lord, be with us. Help us to carry the good news of Jesus Christ. Not just to Maputo, but into our homes and our offices and our workplaces and our shops and our whole world. Lord, we do this and we want to do it well. We want to confess to you the moments that we do it badly and we want to give ourselves to you to do it really, really well. And so as you go, whether you're going to Mozambique or home or work, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and may the Lord fill your heart with the joy of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. Go well.